What's up, guys? Welcome to Cage Speak, Episode 1. I'm your host, RP. Today, I'm going to cover UFC 235. I'm going to cover nine fights from this card, one from the early prelims, Gina Mazzani versus Macy Chieson, three from the prelims, Diego Sanchez versus Mickey Gall, Misha Sekirinov versus Johnny Walker, and Jeremy Stevens versus Zabit Magomed Sharapov. I'm also going to cover every fight from the main card. For this podcast episode, I watched 13 hours of fight tape. I watched three to five fights generally for each fighter. There are only three fighters that I watched less than three fights for. Those three fighters are Tyron Woodley, Cody Garbrandt, and Zhang Wallet. Okay, let's get started. Macy Chason versus Gina Mazzani is going to be an interesting fight for me for a few reasons. One, Macy Chason is, has been a 145er and she'll now be moving down. Instead of being a 145er, fighting 135ers moving up, she'll now be doing the opposite. Gina Mazzani seems to have the style that most girls want to have against Macy. Macy in open space has really long, powerful kicks and punches. Her power is not to be trifled with and it seems like all of her opponents know it. Every single pro fight, save for Pani Kianzad in the tough finale, has, during every single one of those fights, her opponent has put Macy to the fence in the first round and tried to work from there because they don't want to mess with her in open space. In that Pani fight in the tough finale, the only reason that didn't happen, in my opinion, is because Macy initiated the fence fighting and put Pani there. I don't think that Gina Mazzani is going to be able to do much of anything if she gets that. The good news for her is that that seems to be her main mode of operation. In open space, she throws open crosses or empty naked crosses with no setup uh, from the southpaw position. She doesn't have a whole lot of head movement and she doesn't have a whole lot of backing up or lateral movement to add to that. I think if it stays in open space, Macy Chason is going to out-trade her and is going to force her into playing her Gina's main game. And Gina's main game seems to be to try to put her opponent to the fence, which, again, every fighter has tried against Macy in her professional career, and then look for the outside right trip. Whether she's successful or not, I don't see her doing much of anything with it. The opponents that have been able to take Macy down in the first round have generally either let her get back to her feet or have been stalled out for the rest of the first round in full guard, close guard. If Gina does manage to get Macy to the ground, I don't see her doing anything in the first round. I certainly don't see her as a submission threat for Macy. Her jiu-jitsu is solid. I see her being the stronger, more athletic person. In the second round, I expect Gina to try to recreate this if it makes it to the second round at all. I expect Gina to try to put Macy to the fence, try to get her to the floor, and try to not wall install, that's not fair, but to get on top and stay on top. I don't think she'll be able to in the second round if she even is in the first round. I expect her to be too tired in the second round and she'll create scrambles for which Macy can get on top. Macy's really good at once her opponent is tired or has spent a little energy at using her superior athleticism to get on top and rain down hammers because she hits hard and once she gets that top position, she reminds you that she hits hard. She will put those paws in your face and I expect that to happen to Gina Mazzani in the second round at the latest. Diego Sanchez versus Mickey Gall. So this fight is really interesting to me because 
in Diego Sanchez's last fight, he did to Craig White in the first round exactly what Randy Brown did to Mickey Gall in his fight in the first and third rounds and Mickey Gall's last loss. So Mickey Gall's last loss, Randy Brown managed to get Mickey Gall to the floor, get him into full guard, and get his head against the fence and deny stand-ups while punishing Mickey Gall for trying to stand up. He landed several short elbows, he bloodied Mickey's face in the first round, and he definitely defended, or definitely prevented rather, Mickey Gall from getting back to his feet. That's exactly what Diego Sanchez did to Craig White in the first round of their fight. The issue is that in the second round, Diego Sanchez did not have the gas to recreate this, or so it seemed to me. I really expect that Diego's gonna try to do this, try to recreate the strategy against Mickey. Excuse me. He may be successful in the first round, but in the second round, I don't think he'll have the gas to do it again. I expect that Mickey Gall in the second round will end up in a scramble, end up taking Diego Sanchez's back, and we'll finish with a second round rear naked choke. Misha Sikirnov versus Johnny Walker. I expect this fight to be a battle of patience versus impatience. Off the top, Johnny Walker has a 5-inch reach advantage, but I think his more important advantage is his eyes. If you watch Johnny Walker in any of his previous fights, his eyes are glued open. He looks like the Momo meme. He sees everything. And I think that in the Cleo Roundtree fight, he showed a lot of patience. He fainted his ass off for like the first 100 seconds without really doing a whole lot of anything. Just faint, 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 faint. Um, I think that, or I expect rather, that Misha Sikirnov is going to become impatient with this and Johnny Walker is going to be ready to capitalize. Misha Sikirnov does like to throw open crosses into like wild scrambles into the clinch. And if he ends up in a clinching situation with Johnny Walker, if he gets there without being punished in the first place, I expect him to hang out too long and for Johnny Walker to land something with those long limbs. Johnny Walker is very good at punishing people for hanging out in the clinch too long with him, as we saw with Khalil Roundtree in that elbow, as we saw in his fight on the Dana White Contender Series. He will punish you if you hang out in the clinch too long. He will try to hit that flying knee. He will try to get those bows in your face. And that's exactly what I see happening to Misha Sikirnov after what will seem, what I expect to be a staring contest at the beginning where Johnny Walker faints, 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 faints. Misha Sikirnov is eventually going to say, fuck it. He's going to try to punch, 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 and he's going to get punished for it. Um, I have Johnny Walker in the first round via hook, elbow, or some other round strike from the clinch, or with a KO as Misha tries to blitz in. Zabit Magomed Cherepov versus Jeremy Stevens. Off top, I want to go ahead and say that I am shocked that Zabit is the favorite in this because it seems like he is tailor-made to lose to Jeremy Stevens, in my opinion. In my opinion, this is an MMA boxer with great takedown defense versus an MMA Taekwondo fighter with good takedowns but weak top control. Both of them like to switch to southpaw but for different reasons. Zabit Magomed-Sharapov likes to switch to southpaw to hit that rear, rear leg body kick. And Jeremy Stevens likes to switch to southpaw after he throws the orthodox cross so that he can then throw his left hand as a hook. 
Jeremy Stevens really likes to throw a hook, whether he's an orthodox or southpaw. And even though he telegraphs it sometimes, that step in to southpaw hook is powerful and has worked for him in the past. When it comes to the grappling and the takedown artistry of Zabit Magomedsharipov, I don't see him being able to do a whole lot with Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Stevens, in the fights that I watched against Frankie Edgar and Hanato Moicano, he was able to be held down by those men um, in the first round, particularly against Moicano, and in the first, and I believe the third round against Frankie Edgar. Um, but that's about it. He's a difficult man to hold down, and Frankie Edgar got him to his butt more times than that. He just couldn't hold him there. He got him to his butt. Stevens got back to his feet, and he had Frankie Edgar had to restart, reset. Frankie Edgar was very smart about timing whenever Jeremy Stevens would step into southpaw and hang out in southpaw too long. He timed a couple of really nice shots off of that, particularly in the first round. So with this fight, I'm expecting um, I'm expecting Jeremy Stevens to walk through and crowd Zabit very early, walk through his strikes, walk through his punches. Zabit's main mode of defense whenever he's being crowded is to post out the lead hand, but that doesn't do a whole lot to deter a very determined opponent from crowding him to the fence. Kyle Bogniak crowded Zabit to the fence at the beginning of every round, walking straight through that post. He didn't care about the punches. He didn't care about the damage. Really, Zabit is a threat of spinning shit and of the takedown artistry, but the top control isn't there, and even if it was, it's Jeremy Stevens that he's dealing with. Without a, without a superb top control game, you're not going to hold Stevens to the ground. So what I'm expecting is for Stevens to come out and throw empty low kicks as he's one to do to slow the beat down and to crowd him rather easily. I'm expecting a first round KO from Stevens. When Stevens is excited, he does get away from the rear straight cross, but he does, he, he just exchanges that basically for a rear uppercut. So I expect him to do a lot of damage with his left hand, regardless of stance, and then to try to finish off with an uppercut. Zabit may be successful in tying up once he's eaten some shots, but unless Jeremy has drastically exhausted his arms trying to finish, I expect him to be able to get back to his feet, reset, and get back to work with hooks, uppercuts, etc. Cody Garbrandt versus Pedro Munoz. I'm going to say Pedro because I really butcher his last name and I don't want to be disrespectful. In my mind, there are two versions of Pedro. There's normal Pedro and then there's Pedro after he's been hit. Normal Pedro to me is capable of lateral movement. He likes to jab as of his last few fights. He will throw both high kicks and low kicks. He looks to throw more straight punches in general. He will parry until he has to back up and then will back up in a straight line with his guard really high and wait for his opponent to stop striking so he can move forward again. Pedro, after he's been hit, will move straight forward and will not take a step back. He will spam low kicks and he will spam hooks and he will retain the same high guard when he has to with fewer parries. It's like he will plant, high guard, hook, 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 low kick, high guard, high guard, hook, 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 low kick. And then he may reset back to normal Pedro at some point. This happened in Brian Caraway several times. He switched from this mode of hook, 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 low kick, high guard to normal Pedro, which is not getting hit or tagged, and moving laterally, throwing more straight punches, throwing high kicks. It was really interesting to see. It was really interesting to see how many times he switched back and forth between those two things in the Brian Caraway fight. Very interesting to me. I think Cody is going to back out and 
miss, or rather miss, I think he's going to dodge all of the low kicks of Pedro the way he did against TJ. And the TJ fights, he did a good job of kind of skipping backwards and missing the low kicks and making TJ do like a soccer kick to the air. I think we're going to see Cody really punish Munoz when he tries to back up in a straight line with a high guard, and I think he's going to do so with hooks. And I really think that we can look to see Cody replicate what John Dotson did against Pedro. John Dotson, for all of their, all three rounds of their fight, whether it was three rounds or five rounds, I can't remember, but for all of the rounds of that fight, John Dotson was circling out to Pedro's left, and Pedro did not do anything about it until the last round. And when he did start to do anything about it in the last round, he started to throw lead hooks, and very few of those actually stopped Dotson or even tagged Dotson while he was doing what he was doing. I think if Cody can angle out on Dominic Cruz, he's going to recreate for sure what John Dotson did against Pedro, Pedro, Pedro Munoz. Um, and I think that he's going to angle out to his left. But unlike Dotson, I think he's going to have the power and the, the mindset of punishing Pedro once he's to the left. I don't think he's going to just circle out to the left and reset the way Dotson did. I think he's going to circle out and punish, punish, punish. I'm sure we've all heard that expression, don't hook with a hooker. Well, Cody and Pedro are both quote-unquote hookers in this situation, and Cody is faster. He's the faster of the two, and if this turns into Pedro gets tagged and turns into zombie walking forward and spamming hooks and low kicks, I think he's going to lose. I think he's going to lose those hooking battles. I think he's going to eat some serious shots from Cody. I'm expecting a round one finish from Cody via superior hooks and angles. What situation he lands those hooks in will really depend on what version of Pedro is in front of him, whether he's backing up with his guard high and eats hooks, or whether he's trying to stand there and trade and gets angled out to the left, uh, to his left rather, and eats a hook from there. But I think Cody's going to finish it in round one via hooks. Moving down the card we have, or up the card maybe, we have Zhang Wale and Tisha Torres. Zhang has a really crisp jab, as well as a good check hook to prevent her opponents from moving in, as well as some really stiff side kicks and strong leg kicks to her opponent's lead leg. Zhang also does really well at getting her opponent to the floor if she can obtain double underhooks. She even pulled Danielle Taylor to the floor with one underhook after she lost her footing. Torres' main mode of operation seems to be to strike her way into clinching situation and then look for a takedown. Maybe it's the size, maybe it's the level of competition lately, but she seems usually unable to complete the takedown against the fence and often gets reversed. I think in open space, we're going to see the superior range of Zhang really punish Torres. I expect her to get, I expect her to just chew up Torres's leg and for Torres to catch some jabs trying to answer shots. If she tries to punch her way into a clinch situation, I expect her to eat hooks for days. If Torres manages to get Zhang to the fence, I don't see her completing a takedown. I expect Zhang to land hard knees to the body the way that Joanna did to Torres in her first round, or in the first round of their fight. I don't see Torres getting tapped out by Zhang. She is very small and difficult to hold down because she can really find those sneaky ways to wiggle her body out of bad positions. Small people are hard, hard, hard to hold down, especially in side control where Zhang most recently did really good work against her last opponent, who was... 
She doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Okay. Ben Askren versus Robbie Lawler. So this fight is impossible to have an opinion on because Robbie Lawler hasn't fought a wrestler that really, really, really wanted to take him down since 2015 in the Hendricks rematch. And Ben Askren has never fought anyone of Robbie Lawler's caliber. So we have to look at the objective evidence that we can find in Lawler's fight history. And in the last few fights, Lawler has shown uh, not a weakness, but he has shown slight opportunities that Askren could capitalize on. So uh, in the Lawler fight against Johnny Hendricks, which again, probably maybe not even permissible evidence because it happened four years ago. But in every round of that fight, Lawler was put against the fence. In his fight against Cerrone, Lawler gets taken down three minutes in off of an attempted body kick that turns into a single leg for Cerrone. That body kick takedown probably was very unexpected because he expected Cerrone to try to strike with him. But element of surprise aside, we can definitely look at what happened on the ground. And Cerrone passes Lawler's guard within 45 seconds, and he holds side control for an additional 35 seconds until Lawler escapes back to his feet. I think you put Askren in that situation, and Lawler's going to have a much harder, a much longer time getting back to his feet. He might not even do it within the round if it happens before two or three minutes in. He was also Lawler that is double-legged against the fence uh, against RDA. And in the third round, and in the fifth, in the fifth round it looked like he was going for a guillotine and then kind of abandoned it at the last second. He really likes this body lock from over the back whenever his opponent goes in on his legs. He did that against Hendricks, he did that against RDA. I don't see that being enough to stop Askren. I don't see that as enough to deter Askren. Even against Hendricks, Hendricks was able to get Lawler to his butt a couple of times after he did that. I'm expecting Lawler to come out and immediately look to tie clinch the way he did against both Hendricks in the rematch and Cerrone at the very beginning as he was trying to crowd him. Not having to be worried about the striking of Askren, I expect he will come out and look to punish Askren's body as fast as he can to slow him down. I don't see him being successful. I don't see him throwing leg kicks and risking giving Ben Askren his foot or his leg at the weigh-in. Askren was like, I'm going to get that leg. Um, I think Lawler's going to do everything in his power to keep his legs to himself. I think he's going to go immediately to the tie clinch as he did against Hendricks and try to punish with knees. Uh, I expect Askren will use that opportunity to get Lawler to the fence and take him down. If taken down early, I think Askren will ride Lawler for the rest of the fight, whether it's finished by strikes on the ground in, the, in whatever round or decision. I expect Askren to win via WrestleFuck. Tyron Woodley versus Kamaru Usman. So... Tyron Woodley, we all know what he likes to do. He likes to look for that power cross. He likes to stuff takedowns for days. A lot of people really complain about the inflated, quote-unquote, numbers of Tyron Woodley's takedown defense, but he's a legit wrestler. He's really not easy to take down at all, and I don't see Kamar Usman threatening the takedown. And without the threat of the takedown, Kamar Usman does not do well at controlling the directionality of his opponent. The only recent opponent that Kamar Usman controlled the directional movement of was RDA. And that was after he took RDA down and the threat of the takedowns was there. 
If you look at the Maya fight, Maya was able to stay within the inner circle for virtually the entire fight against Usman. Uh, he had no fear of the takedown. Maya really wanted it to go to the floor, obviously, and he's able to stay off the fence and keep the fight at kickboxing range. Usman did win that fight via kickboxing. He uses straight punches, generally a really good jab from both stances, but he doesn't move his head very often. And in the Maya fight, he ate crosses in all of the first three rounds. In the last two rounds, Maya was pretty exhausted and not doing a whole lot of striking, just mostly trying to stay alive, it seemed. By my estimate, by my count, Maya landed eight counts on Usman, or eight crosses rather, on Usman uh, in the first three rounds while Usman was in his southpaw stance, and he landed four while Usman was in his orthodox stance. Uh, I think this tendency to take crosses on the chin or to allow crosses through is really not going to be good against Woodley. Woodley's not going to have, or I don't expect Woodley to have the fear of the takedown, and I think he's going to draw out Usman uh, using jab and level-changing feints, just like he did against Till. He really pumped out those jab feints, really pumped out those level-changing feints. And I think Usman's going to bite on that with a jab, and he's going to eat crosses for his efforts. I really don't expect Usman to make it out of the first round with his weakness to straight punches. It's not a gaping hole but if Damian Maya can land 11 crosses I'm sorry 12 crosses on you by my count in the first three rounds I, I don't see how in the world Tyron Woodley isn't also going to land at least one cross in the first round and as we all know that's pretty much all he needs as far as wrestling goes I don't I don't I don't see them going to the floor I think we're going to see a classic grappler versus grappler situation where Two wrestlers cancel each other out, and it comes down to who can win in the kickboxing. And in that department, with his uh, lackluster head movement, in my opinion, lackluster is a hard term to use on a professional, but with his less than perfect head movement, his rather stiffness from both uh, stances, I think he's going to eat crosses, and I think Tyron Woodley's going to put him away in the first round. As a note, Dan Mergliata, if he's in this fight, Expect him to do some fuckery if he gets if Tyron Woodley if Tyron Woodley gets Kamara Usman to the fence. In both the Darren Till and the Lawler fight, Dan Mergliato was like, Nope, Tyron Woodley, you can't have your opponent against the fence for longer than 30 seconds. And he broke it up in the first round of both of those fights for no reason. It was kind of ridiculous. I was happy that he also broke up uh Till whenever he got Tyron Woodley to the fence. He broke it up in short order, did not allow that to happen for very long. So he's at least fair with the silliness, but expect Tyron Woodley's main weakness to be there, which is Dan Mergliata, if Dan Mergliata is the referee for this fight. And last but not least, we have John Jones versus Anthony Smith. I feel guilty for even having an opinion on this fight because John Jones is so above my pay grade. And I, I can't tell you what John Jones wants to do. I can tell you what Anthony Smith's previous uh, openings have been that John Jones could exploit with his tendencies. And I can tell you what I think John Jones doesn't like. But that's about where my, my opinion is going to end. Anthony Smith has a clean one too, and he can wear damage pretty well. Obviously, with a name like Lionheart, he's, he ain't no bitch. He ain't going to quit. 
Um, he definitely can wear damage well. In the Ozdemir fight, however, Ozdemir did a lot of damage to his lead leg, which was pretty apparent pretty quickly. He tore that leg up with outside and inside kicks to the thigh. I think if those were the targeted knee shots of the oblique kick from John Jones, that that damage would be even more severe. It wasn't until the third round that Smith in the Ozdemir fight started to answer the leg kicks by cracking off hard crosses, which he did so after the advice of his corner in between rounds. His coach said, whenever he throws that rear leg kick, I need you to crack off twos like you've never cracked off twos before or something to that effect. And um, I can see him trying to do this against John Jones. The issue is going to be that if he tries to do this against John Jones, he's going to have to do it in the first round while his leg is still there and not disintegrated into dust. And I don't see how he can do that without ending up in a clinch situation that he is not emotionally prepared for. Emotionally prepared for. He's emotionally prepared for it, but I don't see how he's going to be able to crack off twos onto John Jones without ending up in a clinch situation that he is not technically prepared for. Because Jones will look to clinch, and he will look to stop that forward pressure with the threat of takedowns, with the threat of striking in and out of the clinch. He is very good at determining when and where the clinch happens and when and where the clinch ends. Uh, Jones is also very seasoned in destroying legs, so he's, he's very good at escaping after he's landing these leg shots, these oblique kicks. If you notice, after he throws leg kicks and his opponent tries to come forward, he often stiff arms out and backs away, resets, and goes back at the legs. I can't tell you what John Jones wants to do, a lot of the time because he's one of the goats but I can tell you one thing he doesn't like to do and that's box someone with a healthy lead leg he does not like that this is apparent to me in both the Daniel Cormier fight and the OSP fight OSP has the Tyron Woodley ass and legs of the lightweight division or light heavyweight division I should say and um He's just got tree trunks, man. And John Jones, a couple of times in the second and third rounds, maybe even into the fourth, he started to decide that it was time to box, that he had chewed up OSP's legs just enough that he could start trading with him. And he didn't lose trades drastically, but he didn't, he's, he didn't win them as perfectly as he would have liked. And so whenever he would lose these small trades, Jones would go immediately back to the legs, immediately back to the body, and he would cycle between those two. Jones is really good at switching stances into an open stance and throwing that rear leg kick to the body to slow down his opponents. He, did, he didn't do that against Cormier, and that's why the Cormier fight is very interesting to me when it comes to looking at what Jones doesn't like. Because Jones does not like to box someone when he doesn't have their rear leg or their lead leg rather destroyed. But in the Cormier fight, in the second Cormier fight obviously, he did not start attacking Daniel Cormier's leg until the third round. I think the reason for this is because he was very concerned that Daniel Cormier would... Who wants to give Daniel Cormier their leg to catch a kick off of and potentially end up in a scramble with? No one wants to scramble with Daniel Cormier. So instead in that fight, Jones, in the first two rounds, he really did a lot of southpaw crosses, very long southpaw crosses at that, and he used that to keep Daniel Cormier at range, but in the second round, 
after addressing some takedown attempts from Daniel Cormier, it seemed like Jones was much more comfortable, much less scared of the takedown, or I shouldn't say scared, much less concerned about the takedown, and from there started to attack the lead leg as per his normal routine. Destroy the lead leg, end up in clinches and boxing situations that you can win because your opponent isn't mobile or as mobile as they would be otherwise, and go from there. I think that if Anthony Smith is to win, he'll have to attempt to recreate what he did in the third round of the Ozdemir fight, punish those kicks to the lead leg with straight punches, but he'll have to do it again without ending up in a clinch situation that he's not ready for or that he can't win. But I don't think he's going to be able to. I think Jones is really good at retreating after punishing the lead leg and that he's going to... I think Jones is going to end up on top in probably the end of the second round or the beginning of the third round after all but obliterating Anthony Smith's lead leg. And I think he's going to finish the fight from the top uh, with strikes, as he did against Gus. He may be petty because he can be petty, I suppose, and he may try to submit Smith, but I don't see him wasting time on it if he could just pound his face into the ground. That's how he finished Daniel Cormier. That's how he finished Gus in the rematch. Uh, I think that's what we see here. I think Anthony Smith is going to he's, he's going to have a hard time keeping his leg alive. And if he does win, he's going to have to do it early while that leg is still functioning. And with that, we're going to wrap up the first episode of Cage Speak. If you've made it this far, I really appreciate you listening. I had a great time recording this, coming up with my notes, watching all this tape. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to it. I'm going to try to do a follow-up episode after the card is over, UFC 235. And until next time, thanks.